a lovely free crisp crisp i suppose is the best way to describe today it's a crisp day it's like a peppermint crisp day but instead of having a green sky we've got a blue sky Mm, yeah, well, the sun is out. It's not really doing its work. It's kind of like a, more showing up in spirit than in body. And uh, we're shivering beneath beneath this feeble gaze right now in South Africa. If you just tuned in, congratulations on your choice. Yes, this is Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, the foremost Islamic radio station in the universe. Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, why not point out? You know that we're unrivaled on Mars. The competition is on the back foot on Saturn, and uh, we're quite sure that um, no one broadcasts better than we do on the moons of Venus. And indeed, anywhere else on the terra firma here on Earth as well. Alhamdulillah. Yes, it is uh, the. Mm, the Drive Time Show. Yes, that's it. It's the Drive Time Show. And I'm your host, Alameen Templeton. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, well, it's a, it's a beautiful day afternoon and all around the world, business is getting up to the business of business, which is family. Mm. Ah, yes, yes, yes. The business of business is business. According to, um, you know, the same kind of people who say that time is money, but I've, I've, I've yet to see them store up one second in a bank account, you know, one second. Well, who would want to store up one second in a bank account? You have to ask yourself, well, you know, uh, one second, 84,600 of them were given every single day. Uh, 84,600 seconds in which to remember your creator. Allah Ta'ala says he has created us for no other reason other than that we worship him. Hmm? You know, and if we spend like a, uh, a thousand uh, seconds beside our salah on a day uh, in zikr, we think that we've done a really good thing. We make 1,000 duruds. One thousand seconds we spend on Darud and we feel as though we've done something. And in actual fact, we have. You know, as Sheikh Zakaria was saying there a little earlier, words, words, words are very, very important. You know, wars start with words. They may end in blood, but they always start with words. A lot of words have been exchanged between uh, Egypt and uh, Ethiopia and Sudan. Sudan uh, Ethiopia says it wants to start putting up its dam. Of course, it's got a whole lot of American money to build the thing. America knows that, of course, building that dam is going to cause all kinds of problems in Sudan and Egypt. Uh, because, of course, you know, it's their only water supply. Okay, they've got a few kind of under, underground rivers here and there, but, uh, you know, 95% of the country lives off the Nile. The world's longest river. The world's longest river. And Ethiopia says, well, you know, um, they had waters for the Nile, the Blue Nile. They find, they find their source in the mountains of Ethiopia. And there, in the top of the, right in the middle of that mountain kingdom, there's a small little knot of um, 
frightened little Christians who are dependent on their existence on outside support. A bit like Saudi Arabia, you know, and Israel. You know, any, any ally of the United States has only become an ally by giving up its independence. Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, the Kufar know exactly how to uh, tie down a potential ally, if you have a look at Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia itself is a majority Muslim country. And if you have a look at Ethiopia, Ethiopia, just like Saudi Arabia, is cut off from all uh, key access to the sea. Um, Saudi Arabia only has a small little patch under its armpit there, you know, just there where, where, where Kuwait rather conveniently cuts off Iraq from access to the sea. You know, that's why Saddam invaded all those years ago. You know, all of these little borders that Winston Churchill, the so-called human rights champion of the West, who reckoned that the Indians were beastly people. And uh, he saw nothing wrong with subjugating the Muslims because we come from an inferior civilization. Nothing wrong with the superior civilization imposing its will on an inferior civilization. So, Winston Churchill, imagine. Imagine, and I'm now going to draw the borders of your countries. Oh, yes, no, for your own good. Oh, yes, indeed. And we shall not flag nor fail to ensure that all your beaches, all your landing grounds end up in the grip of Blighty. Mm. Good old Winston, you know. Favoring empire and his glorious queen. His glorious queen. Do you know the Saxe-Cobergs actually claim a familial tie to Nabi Karim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Who, you ask? The Saxe-Cobergs. Come on, man. They're one of the most famous families in the world. The Saxe Cobergs. Who on earth are the Blumen Saxe Cobergs? Sounds like a disease you get, um, you know, in a very cold German winter. It's named after the sound you make when you cough. Saxe Coburg. Saxe Coburg. Oh, he's got the Saxe Cobergs again. Oh, no. Time to stay away. It's worse than COVID 19. No, no, no. Saxe Coburg is, in actual fact, the. Um, the family name of uh, that uh, rather inbred little family, otherwise known as the Windsors. Yes, they changed their name to Windsor because it sounded wonderfully British during World War One. You know, when um, it turned out that Britain was uh, at the throat of the Hun. Yes, they were at the throat of the Hun, having to fight the Germans. And suddenly someone turned around and pointed out that, you know what, our queen, our glorious queen, um, well, was it a queen or was it a king? I think it was King George. It's our glorious king. Uh, gentlemen, our glorious king's surname is Saxe Coburg. Doesn't that sound suspiciously German? Well, Lord Smithers, um, uh, we can... Yes, it does, in actual fact, sound German, and we found the main cause of this Germanic sound uh, that emerges from the royal surname is the fact that it is German. What? You mean we've got a bunch of Hun in Buckingham Palace? Yes, 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 we do. Yes, you see, when Queen Elizabeth, no, 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 Queen Victoria, it's difficult to differentiate between British tyrants, uh, when Queen Victoria... I married Prince Albert of Germany. She took on, well, you know, took on his name. And so um, uh, they, um, the royal British family, the line became Saxe Coburg. And during Germany, it was, during World War I, it was seen as completely unacceptable, most un British. 
I'm thinking of locking up the king in the in the White Tower in the Tower of London. No, no, they weren't actually. <clears throat> Although, um, uh, who was who? Well, what was the name of that sexy Coburg guy who stepped down over his love for the British divorcee? Um, uh, Wallace Simpson, huh? King Edward. Yes, he stepped down for love, for love. King Edward stepped down for love. He's a Nazi sympathizer. In fact, he's negotiating with Hitler during World War One. No, during World War Two, uh, in Spain. He actually went over to Spain on negotiations with the Nazi regime on taking over the monarchy once Mr. Hitler uh, becomes ruler of Britain. Yes. Mm. Yes, and uh, all over the world, businessmen today wear his Windsor knot. Where is Windsor knot beneath their throats? It's like a, a slave chain attaching yourself to the ambitions of the royal family in England. Um, yes, well, anyway, getting back uh, from the nasty British royal family and the nasty, even nastier British royal government, um, onto their machinations, uh, which they got up to more than 100 years ago now. No, no, in actual fact, you know, Conference of Cairo was uh, 1925. World War One, however, ended uh, with the British marching up the Tigris River um, to go and liberate Baghdad. Yes, you know, you know the way the British liberate things, you know. You are now free and we're going to stay here forever. Yeah, yes, we, 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 we have come to free you and we're going to stay just to ensure that you stay free in the way we like you to be free. Yes, and uh, when the, the, the way they like you to be free is to be completely dependent on them. And so you'll get like Arabia. Uh, it's uh, handed over to the Sauds because the Sauds decided to um, side with the British and to, yes, no, well, we, we, we will accept your presence here and our, and our subservient uh, role uh, in relation to you uh, as long as you protect us. Yeah, so the uh, the Saudis stepped in where uh, Sayyid Hussein, who is the uh, legitimate defender of the two Haramain, um, he had uh, he had uh, sought British help to throw out the Ottomans during World War One, siding with the Kuffar, as Allah Ta'ala has warned against in the Quran. But then again, it was a very long tradition of uh, Muslim rulers uh, that really started in all earnestness once um, uh, the Ottomans lost uh, the second. Uh, uh, battle of Vienna and uh, retreated in disarray and complete disorder uh, towards the end of the 17th century, the 1600s. The first thing the Ottomans did was enter into a treaty of protection with France. And that was how the French got into the Levant, as they are called um, Syria, Shams, Shams. That's how the French got in. The French were the first in. Uh, and then they were followed by the British. Uh, the British uh, got in uh, once Napoleon came and took over and uh, tried to go and... Remember his Nile campaign? Horatio Nelson defeated the, the French fleet at the Battle of the Nile in Abukib Bay. Uh, and in that battle, it is believed that uh, the three... Um, the three... The three talismans uh, that the Templar knights had extracted from underneath uh, the altar in uh, the uh, the Dome of the Rock Church, as it was 
um, they'd been allowed to spend time on the Temple Mount there, and they dug a tunnel from their little spot on the opposite end of that plain, uh, right underneath the altar, where, um, according to Christian tradition, they had um, placed three sacred relics. And apparently the three sacred relics were Isa Alayhisselam's in Gio, um, the staff of um, of the staff of Musa and uh, the ring of uh, Suleiman Ali Musalam in Abu Bay. Old, uh, old Napoleon went off and decided the. And that's why you know one stage Napoleon was considering uh, making Islam the official religion of France. Can you believe it? Yeah. But anyway, uh, Napoleon ended up in uh, in uh, in Egypt, and his Egyptian campaign. That's where the Rosetta Stone was discovered, and that was how the hieroglyphics were eventually deciphered. Um, anyway, so um, Napoleon then found himself cut off uh, from Europe because his navy had been destroyed by by uh, Nelson, the British fleet, and he had to make his his way up. Um, uh, up through uh, Syria to friendlier territory, and doing so, um, uh, knocked the, the, the noses out of place of the Ottomans, and so Britain was able to sidle in there. And during World War One, um, uh, the the Arabians in Arabia, the Arabs in Arabia saw an opportunity to throw out the Ottomans. And so they sided with the British, and that's how, you know, the British basically did a Balfour on on Arabia, just like they did on, well, the place that people call Palestine, but I think it should be called Shams. You know, we need to obliterate apartheid Israel from the maps, and we need to obliterate Saudi Arabia from the maps. I think we also need to obliterate Iran. Um, how about that for a bit of obliteration, eh? Um, you know, just like Baputatswana, you wipe out the borders and, you know, no one gets killed. You know, the, the, Kuwait definitely needs to disappear. You know, all these little principates, the crucial states put together, knitted together by the British. And are we going to protect the interests of the crucial states against the pirates? The pirates and established British dominance of the seas. Mm. So yeah, okay. So um, and where were we now? We are we we okay. We started off the show with the Nile Dam, and uh, then the fact that Ethiopia, although it's a Christian country and is supposedly on the side of the West, is in actual fact ring fenced. Um, with a whole lot of like these little band, the skinny long states that the British like to wrap around the coastlines of countries to prevent them getting access to the sea. So, although Ethiopia is a Christian state, the British also wanted to ensure that patronage would remain uh, after you know their protection was ensured. So Ethiopia is dependent on its continued existence on outside support. Ethiopia is given a huge big chunk of land in the Horn of Africa, right in the middle of it. And then you'll see all of its all of its coastline is cut off by this skinny little country that they call Somaliland. Somaliland is in actual fact Somalia, you know, whatever it isn't it isn't a natural country, you know, and is constantly being threatened with breaking up into Puntland and other various areas. Um <clears throat> And uh, then you see uh, that uh, Saudi Arabia around its uh, the, the, the foot, 
the sole of its foot. Uh, there you've got Oman, you've got um, Yemen. Uh, and all the way around the UAE states also they're preventing Saudi Arabia from access to the Persian Gulf and then uh, Iraq is cut off as we say by by Kuwait and, and, and Saudi Arabia is cut off from the Mediterranean um, on its northern borders and uh, and so yeah Arabia um, is all tied up Ethiopia um, is in actual fact a majority Muslim country. So uh, it's, it's been given a big patch of land, but that land doesn't in actual fact represent the Christian presence in the country. It's been given that land to ensure that it is now just like uh, in Rwanda with the Tutsis and the Hutus. Um, you've got a minority in charge of a majority. And so as long as that uh, remains in place, then the minority requires outside help to remain in power. Just like uh, with um, Yemen, you know, the, the, the former ruler there, whose name I can't recall at the moment, was dependent on outside help to stay in power, uh, a Sunni over Shia population. And, you know, the battle between Sunni and Shia, I don't know if it will be declared by Sunni and Shia, because I feel it's already been declared by Winston Churchill in 1925, the way he drew those maps, was ensuring that there's going to be conflict, eventual conflict between the Sunni and the Shia. So, you know, Sunni and Shia war, is that a Muslim war, is that a Kufar war? Hmm, Is this the only way that we can resolve our differences? Of course, course the Sunnis, um, we Sunnis, also have a very checkered history, Muawiyah and the handing over the Khalifa to uh, an inherited piece of property. And so it continued. And eventually, you know, when they say that the Khalifa entered, I think it was in 1924, when uh, Khalifa was put on a little rusty tin bucket and sent off to Italy. But did the Khalifa end with Muawiyah? Or did the Khalifa end when um, the Ottomans turned around and made a treaty with the French? Did the Khalifa end when the British marched up the Tigris in 1917? Hmm. Anyway, we're we're getting back to Ethiopia's dam project and all of other interesting issues in just a little while because uh, we see that the clock is ticking up to four o'clock. You are listening to America's Sahaba, the voice of I'm 
में जिसने कलमा पढ़ा दिया तूने हम पे कितना कर्म किया हमें उम्मती जो बना दिया कुरान में हमने पढ़ा इर्शाद पाक गए तेरा कुरान में हमने पढ़ा इर्शाद पाक गए तेरा किया जिसने शुक्र अदा मेरा मैंने उतना ज्यादा उसे दिया Yes, welcome to the Dratam show with me, host Anameen Templeton. Yeah, it's just gone up as past four on this day. And, uh, well, there's some good news out today. The uh, South African Airways has gone into... Voluntary business rescue. Well, its creditors, 86% of them, have approved its bailout plan, which requires around about 10 billion rand to come out of the government coffers. Government is promising that it's busy getting the money together. I don't know if it's throwing good money off to bad. I mean, uh, the president, while the head of the presidential task team to turn around SAA, you know, while he was a deputy president under Jacob Zuma, uh, he couldn't turn it around while he was a hands on guy. Now he's a hands-off guy. Um, is he going to succeed? Uh, they found a new acting chief executive, someone willing enough to be a patsy for uh, government's ambitions, I suppose. As long as you pay enough, you know, come on, we we can do it. I think they've got another white fall guy um, to step into the position. They've persuaded another crazy white man to, to well, who could be a hot seat. I'm not really sure the seat is there. I think there just might be a few a smoldering cinders where the, teat, where the seat used to be. Either that or maybe someone stole in it, which, you know. Um, yeah, so anyway, they, they've got someone crazy enough to take over SAA. They obviously must be paying him a lot of money. Um, Joe Biden is warning uh, Adela Sisi that he better watch out if he wins his president uh, the blank check that America has been handing him under Donald Trump. Those days are over. Um, Donald Trump referred to Adela Sisi as my favorite dictator. And that's what he is, an autocrat and a torturer, a murderer. Um, like most um, governments in countries, um, uh, called Muslim countries, uh, Muslim populations, um, but is that a Muslim government? Mm, definitely not. Uh, Boris Johnson's government is now decided that, you know what, chaps? I know we've got this bulk crazy idea for Brexit. We're going to leave the European Union. We're going to be going make it on our own. We can do much better. Yes. Um, yes, chaps, I know. Um, we all fully agreed on this idea, but it turns out that business doesn't know what the hell is going on. We're going to have to do something about that. Maybe we can take these pesky businessmen out. They're always complaining. Maybe we can just get rid of the economy. You know what? Hmm? Who says we need an economy? Just get rid of the damn thing. That has been a trouble to us ever since we discovered it. Yeah, well, they've decided that they can't do that. They can't get rid of the business. So uh, that being uh, that being the case, they're going to have to move on to Plan B. And uh, Plan B, 
And they said, okay, well, if we, if we can't get rid of them, we're just going to have to educate the hicks. So um, uh, Boris Johnson's uh, crazy uh, toe-headed idea of uh, getting out of um, the European Union, and it's, um, you know, is basically the prodigal option he's choosing here. Uh, he's breaking away from the family, and he says that Britain can do it better on its own. Brexiting out of the European Union. Well, um, they've uh, they've they've been out of the European Union, I think, for a while. Yeah, since January the 31st, and we're now in this kind of like interregnum period where. Um, uh, you know, it's getting, given the British an opportunity to get used to the idea that they are now on their own. Yes, it turns out that the, if the Irish don't want the British, well, then the British don't want the Europeans. And Britain is now, let's say it's out of the European Union, but it's still in the European Union so that people can get used to the idea. So anyway, Britain's given itself a, a year to do that on December 31. It will be officially, you know, going to have to admit that it is now uh, no longer an EU member. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, while they were, yes, we've got all these plans, we're going to transition to greatness and all that kind of nonsense that they speak about nowadays. They were going to transition to greatness. They had this whole year ahead of them to transition to greatness. And then what happened? COVID happened. That's what happened. COVID happened. And now everything is complete disarray. Everything being completely um, distracted by Brexit. And uh, in actual fact, there'd be no plans to, I mean, they've been completely distracted by COVID and be no Brexit preparations being made. So Boris has decided that now is the time to start warning people that a cataclysm is about to hit them at the end of the year. And it's all his fault. Um, yes. So, um, as a result, they've embarked on a now education campaign. I wonder how much that's going to cost to educate people. Um, although the, the government itself has only just now started uh, trying to implement uh, technology. You know, it's got this technology plan that is uh, going to keep trade going at the same pace, um, even though it's now a foreign country. No, no, no. It's got all these kind of technological wizardry plans that are planned, including having the Irish border in the middle of the Irish Sea. I mean, if, if, if that's not an Irish joke, I don't know what is. Anyway, the, 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 the government's only started kind of implementing its technological innovations needed to make Brexit a reality at its borders and customs posts. And that's just six months ahead of deadline, and uh, it seems like no one is going to be ready. And Boris is going to have to go cap in hand and beg for another extension come December. Well, um, Yom, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia at each other's throats, so the Ethiopia's plan to build that dam. Well, it remains to be seen. Of course, it's funded by America, British, American money. Um, Ethiopia says it needs hydro hydroelectric power. Um, uh, Sudan and uh, Egypt say that they need water. Uh, and uh, Ethiopia says we're having a fantastic rainy season this year. This is a perfect time to fill up the dam. We're going to start filling up the dam. Uh, Sudan and uh, Egypt, because it's the only water source that they have, are extremely concerned uh, that it's going to disrupt the, 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 the flow 
they, they do see many benefits in being able to prevent the seasonal flooding of the dam, which disrupts much of agriculture uh, throughout the two countries. That will be a major benefit. But this filling up period, what's going to happen? It's going to take, what, about like a whole rainy season to fill up the dam. What must Egypt and Sudan do without water for the entire rainy season? Okay, we'll just starve to death this year. Uh, and then next year we'll build on the progress made this year. Yes, it's, it's, it's not really a plan coming to fruition. So, yeah, talks going on over there underneath the African Union with South African leadership. Oh, boy. And, uh, yeah, so there are a whole lot of proposals being, being, being put in today, and uh, we wait to see. With bated breath, what's going to happen? Egypt is threatening it will consider all its options if Ethiopia unilaterally goes ahead and starts filling up its reservoir. Of course, Egypt is also, you know, threatening war against Libya. Um, it's busy uh, waging a, a, a war of genocide against the people living in um, what's that? Uh, what's that funny triangular-shaped desert there? Um, Sinai Desert in the Sinai. Uh, they're busy they're destroying communities and trying to get rid of them because, uh, yeah, you know, you've got that Leviathan oil field that it's sharing with uh, apartheid Israel, Nazi Israel. Nazi is, is, um, Sisi is uh, cooperating with the Nazi Israel in order to steal the Palestinians' oil. Because, of course, it's all Palestinian oil. And none of it belongs to Israel. There's no such thing as Israel. And, uh, yeah, it belongs to the Sinai people as well. As, and it also, a little piece of it also belongs to Egypt. Uh, but uh, you've, you've actually got a situation where Jordan is buying, is buying oil from uh, Nazi Israel. But in actual fact, the oil actually belongs to Jordan because Jordan is all part of the same country. If you just get rid of those borders that uh, Winston Churchill drew 100 years ago. Jordanians or Palestinians? You go and ask Jordanians. I will tell you. Yeah, we are Palestinians. We're all Palestinians. You know. If you speak the Syrians, they'll say the same thing. Many of them, uh, those Alawite masses. UIF, UIF. Yes, the government has been um, saying it's been paying out billions and billions and billions of rands of UIF to everyone. And if you haven't received any money, then that's your own fault because you didn't fill in your forms properly. Um, and now they say no, no. Um, you know they 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 are actually due to be making a big payment today. Um, there'll be quite a few people in the uh, restaurant trade and many other trades, indeed, uh, will be anxiously anticipating perhaps a little ching 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 in their bank accounts this afternoon, and which means they'll be able to hand the money over to their workers. Um, all kinds of blame games being played. It's, it's our government, of course, you know. If our government's involved, then there's always going to be blame. Always going to be blame. Yeah, so anyway, they say new changes uh, to the UIF uh, has just seen over 1.101 billion rand paid directly into the bank accounts of 238,000 employees since April this year. Direct payments to employees have not been affected by the new measures. However, over the weekend, uh, the UIF resumed payments and has dispersed over 372 million rand in claims. The payments covered for uh, claims for April and May, lodged by 15,800 employers for 78,000 employees. So 78,000 families. Uh, if you multiply 78 by 5, 
<laughs> and then your your gani comes to around about four hundred thousand people. I've been been without any income since April and May. Although the UIF has been claiming that that's nonsense. It's all their own fault. Um yeah, so 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 those payments are due to be going out today. Uh this morning, um payments were made two hundred and ninety million Rand paid out to seventy six thousand workers. So hopefully, uh if you're a listener who's been holding on for a long time, your bank account is going to be going ping ping or whatever funny noise your smartphone makes when money gets into paid into your account. And it'll be a great relief to many, but still uh we're still getting noise out of our, you know, feeders on the ground, you know, calling up the brother and asking him if his um, if his works have been paid, you know, that kind of thing. You know, as 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 journalists have got our sources, you know. Uh, yes, uh, so um, I'm, I'm, many are still saying uh, that, uh, you know, it's coming through in dribs and drabs, uh, but many of my workers uh, still remain without any salary for the total time of the lockdown. Well, there would have been uh, other than for um, employer, employer uh, generosity, paying out of their own pockets. Yeah, that's what you're left with, huh? Pay out of your own pocket because the government is not fulfilling its obligations. Uh, many, many um, companies with foreign staff, they were told right at the beginning of the lockdown, you're not going to get any money. Hmm? Even though you've been paid up for all those years. But it looks as the UI have made a about turn on that, recognizing in actual fact, you know what, we are South Africans and we hate foreigners. And, uh, of course, we're also in denial about our xenophobia. Um so, uh, yeah, okay, we, 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 we will pay these foreigners, but we're going to pay them slowly. Now, interesting news coming out of uh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe's ruling party wants old mutual. Old mutual's listing on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange terminated. Uh, uh, an official said that today, clarifying a weekend statement in which uh, the government called for the company to be ejected from the nation's financial system. The statement was about the listing of Old Mutual on the stock exchange, uh, said Safadza Mogwadi, the Zimbabwean African National Union Patriotic Front's Director of Information. Well, the party, he said, will issue an official statement on the matter later, so we're not exactly sure exactly why they are upset with Old Mutual. Uh, Zimbabwe suspended trade on the domestic bourse on June 28 as part of the state's efforts to end the nation's economic crisis. The government wants to eradicate the Old Mutual implied rate, a gauge used by domestic companies to determine the future costs of goods and services. So basically, Old Mutual is saying that looking at costs today, this implies the costs are going to be here in a month's time. And then when the costs do go up to that same level, the government says that Old Mutual is driving the price increases. Or if Old Mutual was not so generous in its predictions, perhaps prices would not be so high. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a, a rock and a hard place for Old Mutual there. Well, you know, you want to bring the bad karma onto you by putting your old um, Master Rothschilds in charge of Southern Africa, Old Mutual, you know, putting the Rothschild stink onto Old Mutual. Not that it smelt all that good beforehand. The company's operations are continuing as normal while it seeks clarity on the matter. That's from Clement Chinaka, All Mutual's Managing Director for the rest of Africa. Uh, the country has been in Zimbabwe for more than 120 years, fully committed to the development of the Zimbabwean economy by sending profits off to England, he said. The insurer is the largest company in Zimbabwe. Um, so there you go. 
God risk. Oh, yes, good old God risk, the insurer who doesn't like to pay, especially when it comes to COVID. Yes, we've said many times, COVID, COVID has signaled that era where insurers are expected to fall on their swords. Of course, insurers are not, don't expect to fall on anything other than a huge big tub of butter. Uh, swords, falling on swords and sharp pointed sticks is not kind of like uh, the uh, career trajectory usually envisaged by someone who goes and wants to take over, you know, um, in insurance. And uh, guard risk is kind of like living up to the dirtiest parts of the insurance industry's uh, reputation. Uh, on behalf of many other dirtier players, like Santam and all of those guys, uh, and God Risk says that it will be appealing the Western Cape High Court ruling that it must pay out a business interruption insurance claim to local restaurant Cafe Chameleon. That's after Cafe Chameleon, a lovely little restaurant, I'm sure. Actually, I don't know. I don't even know if it's a halal. Um, successfully secured a declaratory order against God Risk in a landmark victory late last month for non-payment of a claim linked to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the insurance industry has been denying claims left, right, and center, saying, no, 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 no. Um, all the problems, and, and, and it's, it's quite true and accurate in actual fact, uh, your business has not been interrupted by the disease, it been interrupted by the lockdown. And now you see, when you took out your insurance, you took out insurance against disease, not against lockdown. Okay, so now you, know, you can take out lockdown insurance if you want, but it's too late now. But maybe next year, hey, good luck next time. Um, but look, you know, we are the insurance industry and you are the client and you're supposed to lose. I know that's not what we say in our adverts, but in actual fact, you are. You're the client you're supposed to lose. And um, what's this? we've got tens of thousands of businesses whose businesses have been interrupted. They're going to want all kinds of millions and millions of monies. Kind of complaining about families and human beings and things, things that the, the life insurance industry is not interested at all. If there's one thing the life insurance industry is not interested in, it's human life. And uh, the short-term insurance industry is called such because you're always going to come up short at the end of your term. Yes, and they will not be there for you. I know they've got yellow umbrellas, but that's to keep their chief executives dry. It's not for you, the client, you silly Billy. Mm, yeah. Uh, God Risk said, you know, after losing and a punch on the nose, I've been told them it's actually pay out to its clients, it says, Today, after careful consideration, we have decided to approach the court for leave to appeal the judgment. It is important that we do so in order to obtain certainty for the industry, our business and our policyholders going forward. The issues we are grappling with, as highlighted by court proceedings, are not confined to regard risk or even to South Africa. Have you heard? There's a pandemic all around the world. Yes, as is evident by the extent of litigation around the same issues currently occurring in the USA, UK, Europe, and Australia, noted. Insurers who are just as dirty as us uh, also don't want to pay out. And it's the same in Europe, America, and everywhere. And uh, they are. So, um, so, like, you know. Like, you know, the insurance industry go bankrupt if you force us to pay this out. You know that. You know, big tears welling up in their eyes. We're the victim here. You must understand. We're the victim. 
It says, God was, we are in continuous consultation with the relevant authorities to ensure that we deal with claimants and all policyholders fairly. Now, that's a big stinking lie, because, of course, they wouldn't be appealing the case if they were interested in fair treatment. This appeal process is likely to be lengthy, and we're going to make sure that it's longer than necessary. And, as stated, God risk says it is committed uh, via HIC, our appointed underwriting manager, and its brokers, um, to implement relief measures that will enable policyholders to weather this challenging time, it added. We're going to give you um, a paper straw. Yes, yes, because, you know, people are, are waging campaigns against plastic straws nowadays. Um, and God was, um, you know, in, in order to enable policyholders to weather their challenging time, they're going to give every policyholder a plastic straw. Yes. Godless movement statement comes despite Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Toothless says it is last week issuing a strongly worded statement saying that the national lockdown cannot be used by any insurer as grants to reject a claim related to business interruption insurance policies that have infectious disease cover. The devastation that the pandemic and the lockdown continues to wreak on our society is unprecedented, Godless noted in this latest statement. That means you're all desperate for money and we don't care. No, I said that. It didn't say that. It says the extraordinary scale of the economic fallout in South Africa resulting from this has reaffirmed that we as God risk have an important role to play in helping people uh, not get their money. As such, we've been exploring avenues to provide support to businesses in the tourism and hospitality sector to help keep their doors open. Uh, and we're continuing exploring those avenues as almost as slowly as we are going to, you know, um, um, prosecute this appeal process. Yeah, the exploring avenues to provide support will, you know, is almost as slow as the appeal process. We are continuing at the snail pace to implement measures of support and will communicate those to our policyholders as soon as possible. Now, 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 just to recall, you know, that we're now three months into the lockdown, three months and so many days into the lockdown, and God's risk says that they are, we will communicate, we are continuing the process to implement measures of support and we'll communicate these to our policyholders as soon as possible. Like, you know, it's like, you know, a hundred and something days into lockdown. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, if you're a policyholder and you're a very patient guy that you're going to be dead if you're going to wait for for this help coming from God risk. Responding, responding to God risk's decision to appeal the judgment, Cafe Chameleon's lawyer, Ren Dunster of Dunster Attorneys, said he is aware of the move, but that, that leave to appeal still needs to be granted by the court. He says, I think everyone is presuming that leave to appeal will be granted because of its significance, but the reality is that this is a solid judgment. Now that God risk has advised that they are appealing, we would first need to consider the grounds for an appeal. But at the moment, I have no reason to doubt the foundings. If leave to appeal were to be granted, we are confident the Supreme Court of Appeal will confirm the High Court judgment. In other words, a cafe chameleon and ordinary people will win. Dunster said that if the case goes on appeal, he will push for it to be expedited considering the desperate situation, not just for cafe chameleon, but for so many other businesses in the tourism and hospitality industry. He said he is confident of success even in an appeal case. Uh, well, uh, got to go for a little bit of commercial uh, from our sponsors. 
When we come back, we'll be looking at what uh, all of this nonsense is doing to pension funds in Australia and what it means for us. You are listening to Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, loved ones are making their way home again. That lemming-like rush uh, from the CBD to the outline areas. Oh, any winter time the sun goes down so early, and oh, it's it's, it's ten times worse making your way home in in the dark. You know when it's just the highways are chock block full. May Allah Taala have mercy and bring all of our loved ones home safe and sound. A nice bit of money in their pocket. Yeah, well, just before the break there, we said Australia. Australia is experiencing some pension fund impacts from COVID-19. Now, you know, all of this comes into, we've been spoken quite a few times on the show about how our government was already eyeing the private pension fund industry here in South Africa. Per capita, we've got the biggest pension fund uh, savings in the world. No one comes near us. No one. No one. It's quite amazing, you know, 8 trillion rands with the pension fund savings in various forms. Uh, and um, the government says, well, you know what, you could use that to fund uh, the uh, corruption at ESCOM and the corruption at South African Airways, the corruption at Transnet, the corruption in Tainhase, uh, the corruption at the ANC um you know, uh, National Executive Committee meetings. You know, we need that money. The politicians say, we need your pension fund money to fund our corruption. Uh, and uh, and now that coronavirus has come along, it's provided the ultimate coup de grace uh, to any kind of protests uh, against the private money being taken to fund, to fund, um, you know, the... Uh, the, the, the two past fours that their mistresses of our, of our municipal managers want to buy. They like to sit on their sofas in the afternoon overlooking the Hadabiaspur Dam, eating um, petty fours. Not two plus fours, petty fours. Like petty fours, you know, the ones that are shaped like a little mouse. Uh, full, full with cream. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so pension funds are being targeted all around the world, which means that by the time this coronavirus thing is gone, the entire pension funding um, financial system is going to be broken. Yeah, the social contract which is drawn up after World War Two and even before that in many countries is now going to be gone. Yeah, the pension funding system is started by Bismarck, the German Chancellor, around about uh, 1880-something. When the Germans introduced the world's first pension funding system, uh, they made their official retirement age 55. At that time, uh, the official life expectancy of the average German worker, worker was 45. So you'll know that this whole pension funding thing has been a scam right from its outset and was always destined to fail. And what with people um, after the discovery of the contraceptive pool in the 1960s, 
People have had smaller and smaller families. That means that you've got a huge big section of the population which is now elderly. They only had one or two kids. They don't have enough kids to support them in the old age. They're really going to be 100% dependent on their pension funds. However, there are not enough young people maintaining uh, the pension fund industry. In previous decades, it was like 1.5 to 2 workers. Now it's 3, over 3, 3.5, and it continues climbing. The pension funding gap, the future pension funding gap for pension funds all around the world has been steadily growing over the decades. Um, Prior to the credit crunch, Rules uh, restricting uh, investment policies for pension funds were increasingly being relaxed in an effort to try and jumpstart the American economy, moribund as it was on its demographic decline. Too many old people in America and uh, too many young people are not white. Yes, yes. America has been able to offset its demographic decline, like Europe has been very reluctant and unable to do so because it has um, it has filled the void with immigrants and uh, hence the increasing racial tensions in America because the immigrants haven't been white like it was in the 1800s. They've been decidedly of a darker hue. And uh, the white boys that did all the massacring and the killing in order to create their heaven on earth are now seeing their heaven and earth being invaded by the very people that they're trying to wipe out. And, well, it's just not nice, you know. It's just, like, not not nice. So, anyway, yeah, tensions building up in America, and I suppose Donald Trump's presidency is symbolic or representative of that reality. But, yeah, pension funds running out of money because there's too many old people going into retirement, uh, putting money, bankrupting medical aids, bankrupting pension funds, uh, leaving uh, younger generations uh, increasingly um, resentful and unwilling to continue supporting a system that isn't going to support them in their old age. They know there's not going to be something like this by the time it comes for our retirement. And that is something the billionaires are fully aware of. Fully aware of that. Uh, They know the millennials are are not plugged into the same social contract that their parents' heads are still stuck in. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be burger flipping um, and uh, the takeover by the drones. You know, it's going to be drone control by the time um, our youngsters uh, are, are adults. And that means that uh, the pension funding system as we know it is of necessity uh, being uh, shown the door. It is of necessity being shown the door because it is not going to be able to meet the needs. And, uh, well, you know, we uh, one of uh, the sayings that we say very often on the show is that the biggest pools attract the fattest hippos. And so it has been with the pension fund industry here in South Africa. Uh, if you think of Alexander Forbes just 10 years ago, billions and billions of rands, uh, they've been ripping off uh, pension fund investors. Uh, and in fact, uh, the, the, um, when it was forced to repay that money, it went bankrupt. The government didn't pursue similar actions against the other pension fund um, players simply because it would have made the entire pension fund industry bankrupt. Corruption, and not just AN, not ANC corruption, this is white corruption. This is Africana Bruto Bon Capital corruption. This is old mutual. We are all lovely fellows here in London corruption. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, they like to say, yeah, there's the bloody blacks coming and causing all this kind of crime in South Africa. But in actual fact, you know what? The white boys were pretty good at it too. That's for sure. Anyway, Australians uh, have asked to pull out more than 5 billion Australian dollars uh, from their pension funds in the first week of July. That's the highest since the government granted early access to retirement savings to support a corona-hit economy. Some 510,000 Australians have applied to pull up to 10,000 Australian dollars each from their savings in the first week of the new financial year. The highest number of people to do so since the first week the scheme was in operation in April. So things are getting worse. Australia announced the six-month emergency scheme, which allows workers to take up to $20,000 from their pension savings over two financial years as part of what the government calls a broader stimulus package. Yes, we're going to allow you to spend your own money. The figures uh, take the total amount Australians have applied to withdraw to $23.5 billion Australian dollars. That's a lot of money. And multiply that by 10, and that's 230 billion rands. Um, in fact, it's probably more. It's uh, probably more like uh, 270 billion rands nowadays. I remember 11, 12 to the rand nowadays. Uh, 270 billion rands have been withdrawn from Australian pension funds uh, because of this rising desperation as a result of the lockdown. The government forecasts a total of $27 billion would be pulled from the world's third largest pension pool when it first unveiled the scheme. The long-term impact of the scheme will be found for years to come, said Kirsten Hunter, one of the few sane people still living in the country. She's co-founder of Future Super, which manages $750 million in retirement savings. Superannuation, retirement savings, was never intended to be a national relief fund. Australians should not have to dip into their life savings to get through a public health crisis uh, because, you know, it's going to have a major um, effect uh, down the line, uh, taking money out now, you know. Are going to have a major effect down the line. Early withdrawals, you know, uh, pension fund administrators hate that. They hate it. They hate it because, you know, it affects their bonuses at the end of the year. Less money to play with, less money to take home. That's just a basic rule for everyone. So pension fund administrators hate it, as Kirsten does, when, when early withdrawals are made, because that messes up the entire portfolio outlook. All of the uh, number crunching that's gone into it is, you know, thrown against the wall as a result. The figures show nearly a quarter of the country's 12 million workforce have drawn down their pension savings, as Australia's economy faces its third recession in three decades. Jane Hume, Assistant Minister, Minister of Pensions, they call it superannuation said that tapping retirement early comes at a cost, but that uh, for some clearly the benefits of having their own money back in their pocket today may outweigh locking it up. Fund managers said the cash withdrawal amounted to a small percentage of the $3 trillion pension pool, but that it was weighing on Australia's stock market down one sixth since February. We think it is likely a factor in why the Australian market has underperformed globally during this period, said Matthew Ross, Managing Director of Portfolio Strategy and quantitative research at Goldman Sachs Australia. So even with 17 million people and 30 trillion rands in savings, they still don't have enough. Hmm. Well, shame. The poor liquor industry didn't get warning again. Caught with 
their pants down. Once again, Senator Surah Maposa says, I would just like to tell the nation that we will be moving to stage two very shortly. We will be moving to stage two load shedding, not stage two lockdown. Instead, what we will be doing is we will be reintroducing the alcohol ban. That's how President Solomaposa talks. Hij praat zo stadig van die ding zo stadig, want dit is baie op sy, in sy gedachte vandag. The embattled liquor industry, says President Sullivan proposes, immediate decision to ban the sale of alcohol will lead to a significant amount of job losses in the industry. According to the South African Liquor Band Owners Association, uh, Chief Executive Officer Kurt Moore, the industry has over a million workers, and ones that will be the hardest hit are smaller retailers, wineries, and tavern owners. Yeah, the Shabins are going to be losing out big time. It is already estimated that the wine industry, which employs around 300,000 people, will lose about 18,000 oh, excuse me, about 18,000 jobs at nearly 80 wineries and 350 wine grape producers will close their businesses in the next year due to the previous five-week ban on exports. Why ban exports? and a nine-week ban on domestic wine sales. The industry has also suffered direct losses of close to three billion rand during this time. It's almost like the billionaires, you know, you know you, you, you've got these long-term billionaires, you know, the, uh, the old money billionaires, you know, the old money billionaires, and then you've got the new money billionaires. Uh, so you've got uh, Bill Gates against um, the... Uh, the um, Martha's Vineyard, the Martha's Vineyard people. Yeah, Bill Gates against the Martha's Vineyard people. And the, the Hamptons, those kind of places. The New England billionaires are getting in the way nowadays. Now, you see, the, the, these billionaires have made their billions through alcohol, sugar, coffee, tea, and tobacco. You know, the original slave trader billionaires. Their heirs, those families, yeah, they're still up, you know. I mean, a survey was done recently of Florence, city in Italy, from Michelangelo, which was the birthplace of the Italian Renaissance 600 years ago. Uh, 600 years ago. Yeah, around about 600 years ago now, Leonardo da Vinci and those guys. Um, uh, they did a survey of Florence, the, the ruling families of Florence. The ruling families of Florence today are exactly the same ruling families of Florence from 600 years ago. The Renaissance families are still there. You know, that speaks to, that speaks to the durability of family business, sustainability of family business. You want your family to stick together. The news business as the glue that keeps you together hmm? stands the test of time over and over and over again and if you doubt myself just have a look at the Rothschilds just have a look at the Ruperts and the Oppenheimers hmm? um, uh, just look at the uh, the Rockefellers look at the Windsors, the Saxe Kobergs look at them their businesses are still going um, and so, so it strikes me that maybe, maybe you know what, this whole uh, fourth industrial revolution, 
um, you know, it's, it's going to upend all kinds of production processes and financial lines and so on and ways of doing business, ways of financing business, ways of keeping human beings alive in their old age, you know. Uh, that are all going to be undone and overdone by a fourth industrial revolution. And it's necessary that it be undone before the fourth industrial revolution comes in. Otherwise, the fourth industrial revolution can't come in. So you've got to take people off the roads <clears throat> so the drones <clears throat> so the drones can make their deliveries uninterrupted. You know, you try and and deliver a, a box of groceries uh, with a drone about the size of a of a, a a bar fridge. You know, like you get in your hotel rooms. Um, you send a little drone that big uh, along the road with uh, um, little wheels on it, a radio control to go and deliver groceries to house. Do you think in South Africa that drone will actually make it to its destination? No ways. You know. 50 domestic cleaners, uh, 500 gardeners, um, 700 uh, delivery drivers would have um, emptied uh, that drone of its contents long before it made its way to its destination. You know, Mildred in her Sandhurst mansion would wait a long time for the Woolies packet to arrive. Uh, so you see, and also, you know, you want to introduce the robots to the factory floors. All of the unions are going to go on strike and there's going to be major confrontation and battles. So if you can get the workers off the factory floor by telling them they're going to get sick and they must stay at home, <coughs> you know, you can laugh yourself sick as a result of that. Um, then, uh, you know, you can introduce the robots and by the time uh, the workers have, have sorted themselves out and their pension fund monies and their queues for their 350 rand a month, by the time uh, you, you, you know, they're going to be a handout population. They're going to be a handout population. Anytime, you know, they see someone come along, they're going to put their hand out. Please, 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 we need money. Turn us into a nation of beggars. The entire world, the 99% shall be beggars. The 1% have decided. Because the 99% don't deserve anything else. Because the 99% breaks their family ties. And so God's curse is on them. And that's what the 1% says. Yes. That's what the 1% says. The Queen of England says, the bloody plebs. The only reason they're plebs is because they break their family ties. Hmm. Yeah. The wisdom of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not applied. Unfortunately, yes, uh, they do maintain their family ties at 1%, but then they also believe in primogeniture and all of that kind of thing. They think they're very clever, and as a result of that, they're some of the worst specimens of humanity you will find anywhere in the world, 1%ers. Hmm. You know, Jahannam is their inevitable destination simply because they're soaked in pride. Um, well, the leaky industry is crying. They're saying that President Ramaphosa is going to slam them up against the wall. They say that millions and millions of workers are going to be losing their jobs um, and probably will be, but it seems like the government doesn't give a damn. It seems to me that the Coronavirus Command Council is hoping that they're going to be uh, the, the, uh, the, the chosen ones in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. They forget that, you know, the chosen ones are always very easily replaceable. And by turning their backs on their supporters, by turning the supporters into beggars, they're not going to have any kind of support to fall back on when the 1% decides. And I'll tell you this, they are going to make that decision because the 1% will never, ever, 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 ever trust the ANC. 
Yeah. And anyone who comes from the ANC will never ever be trusted. Because they're communists, you see. And, uh, and even if they do not turn all of that around and become as capitalistic as they can, they still won't be trusted because they're black. That's it. Um, and so, you know, don't think that you're going to become one of the new masters of the universe by taking over the Coronavirus Command Council. You're just going to be a little puppet, you know, like um, Lucas Mangope was. Uh, so, yeah, um, the Coronavirus Command Council is uh, aligning our economy with the fourth industrial revolution and there are major cataclysms happening as a result of that. One of them is pension funds going bankrupt. Yes, the, 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 the era of the pension fund is coming to a close and uh, we are likely to see a lot more developments in the space in the coming months and years that lie directly ahead of us. Um, Right, okay. The government's decision has serious economic consequences, says the liquor industry, placing hundreds of thousands of livelihoods at risk. The immediate enforcement of the ban will have other unintended consequences, which include further job losses throughout the value chain. Now, the reason why I keep on making fun of government and the coronavirus uh, lockdown is that I argue repeatedly that uh, it looks sounds and walks like propaganda. It doesn't adjust. It doesn't adjust and, um, and make improvements. It has got a rule book and a blueprint that it uh, started rolling out right at the beginning and it continues to do so, despite the mounting evidence that many of the interventions that they have suggested in actual fact are not beneficial at all and, in fact, may be injurious to the population. Like, for instance, um, a stay-at-home, as we said many times on the show, and might make, might make sense in Europe where 99% of the population is in formal housing, but in South Africa where between anything between 40 and 60% of the population is in some form of informal housing, then social distancing at home is going to be an impossibility. So transmission will continue happening. So there will be no quarantine. So that means that all of the science that you're speaking is in complete nonsense, because it's not stopping the spread. Many other ways that we could have done, many other medical interventions have been suggested and have been brushed aside, not because they don't work, but because they're not part of the rule book, which has been drawn up by Bill Gates, the United Nations, Imperial College, London, and all of those guys. We've gone about it many times on the show before. They're rolling out their response to the crisis that suits their material interests. And as I say, it looks like, you know, the, um, the software billionaires are taking out the, uh, the slave trade billionaires. It does, it does. It looks like it. The wine industry, the alcohol industry has been shut down. All the billionaires that have, you know, made their billions for centuries out of the alcohol industry are suddenly having the rug pulled from underneath them. The tobacco giants are having the rug pulled out from underneath them. There's also a slave trade. Um, well, I haven't seen them uh, taking a pot shot at tea. Mm, no. Yeah, yeah, you see, now all of my Indian listeners suddenly sit up and take notice. Imagine if Nkosazana Lamini Zuma bans tea one day. 
Don't put it past them, I tell you. Don't put it past them. Um, uh, yeah, tea, well, um, there's also coffee. Coffee also is uh, still relatively unscathed at this stage. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's just an interesting little point to point out. We're coming up to the top of the hour now. Uh, that means that we're going to have to cross uh, to the newsroom for the news in just a little while. Uh, when we come back after a little few commercial messages, we're going to have to wrap up the show and make our farewells because, yes, that sad time of the day is approaching as the sun sneaks up on the horizon. WhatsApp us on the day will come we'll see the sweet and lovely taiba the day will come we'll see the sweet and lovely taiba the day will come we'll see the sweet and lovely taiba the day will come we'll see the sweet and lovely taiba a lovely prophet will call us to lovely taiba a lovely prophet will call us to lovely taiba
Nobody returns until blessed by Holy Prophet. 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 The blessings distribution will sing holy tithes. The blessings distribution will sing holy tithes. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Yes, call us to Taiba. Oh, wouldn't I, wouldn't it be really lovely if I could be transported right now? Just like that, man, send me on in Taiba. And I can maybe um, qualify for going on a Hajj this year. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, Allah Allah can do all things. I don't know if um, um, transporting me halfway around the world um, on a whim. Um, you know, you need to ask. Well, I don't know. Allah Allah does like sincerity in our du'as. He really does like uh, sincerity in our du'as. And an understanding and a belief that Allah Ta'ala is going to accept our du'as. And in fact, that He actually has accepted our du'as as He has promised. Um, he promises, I will, I will uh, accede to your du'a, but maybe after some time. You know, we're told that uh, when Allah Ta'ala answers his du'as, he does so, I think it's in three main ways. One way in which he answers your du'a, he, he, he will give you du'a as you ask for. Uh, to he may not grant you your du'a, but he will avert a calamity that was written for you as a result of your du'a. Um, he may he may delay giving it for some time, or on the day of Qiyamah, the day of judgment, the day of standing, when we are standing before Allah Ta'ala for judgment. Uh, then Allah Ta'ala is going to say, Oh my slave, remember all the du'as you made for me? And you thought I hadn't granted them to you. And then he will say, here they are. And then he will grant him those du'as in the next world. And uh, the reward will be so great that we will, we will um, uh, regret that Allah Ta'ala answered those du'as of ours, which he did answer. We will regret it, that he actually answered those du'as in this world rather than in the next one. Those are three main ways uh, that Allah Ta'ala answers to us. Either gives it, or He gives you something better, or He delays it and He will give it to you in the Akhirah. And then the reward will be so great that you will regret all of the du'as that He answered in the dunya. Ah, social distancing uh, on my website, on my Facebook page, uh, is apparently an Islamo-Marxist idea. You can only be out in public with your family members, Islam. You have to cover your face when you go out in public, Sharia for women. No parties, no fun, no weddings, no gatherings. That's Marxism. Mm, uh, well, anyway, uh, so it is. Um, we come to the end of this lovely show. 
Yes, it's time for me to start driving as well. Now, the drive time show. It's time to get on the road, I'm afraid. Yes, the uh, the sun is there. It's got that red eye out for us. That means it's time to make our farewells. Jazak Mullah for joining us. I make dua that Allah Ta'ala protect you, your loved ones, and the entire Ummah from the evil of this coronavirus and grant us increase in the good. And I make dua that whatever trade and activity you get up to today is profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are listening to Marikaz al-Sahaba, the voice of Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jamaah.